Well, it was all that I could do to keep from crying. Well, you know who, who had the, his ashes uh, spread at home plate? The dude that did the Co- Go Cubs Go song. Yeah, was Steve, it named Goodman? Steve Goodman. Yeah, Steve Goodman. You know what else he wrote? He wrote the perfect country and western song, and then he sent it to either Waylon Jennings or one of those guys. Well, a friend of mine named Steve Goodman wrote that song, and he told me it was the perfect country. Hello, and welcome back to Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tom Howell. Eliani on the board. SP Futures up two. Nasdaq Futures up 16. Big news this morning is that uh, Elon Musk is offered to buy Twitter by himself for, I guess, 54 bucks. Stacks up 496 to 5080. Uh, Lou, how are you? Good morning, sir. That's the news. I guess that's inflation for Twitter, eh? Or something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the big news from my perspective is that the, uh, the Russian Navy took a hit overnight. I saw that. And, uh, the question now is, you know, whether that ship actually sunk or has been, uh, damaged so badly that they can't use it. It apparently has been at least, you know, abandoned. So they got they got people off the vessel, but um, you know I, I'm that's that's all the Russians are admitting to. And, but I mean, if that's what they're admitting to, you you it's like the Biden inflation number. Yeah. If that's what they're admitting to, you figure it's at least in reality twice as worse. What? Uh, how did hell? How did they get it? How, how, when you don't have a navy, how do you nail somebody else's ship? Oh well, you the. Uh, both the, the Russians and the Ukrainians, when the old Soviet Union was operating, uh, had, uh, well, well, Ukraine, of course, has a, a long maritime tradition, but uh, they both manufacture very effective anti-ship missiles, and uh, apparently that's what, that's, that's what the Ukrainians are claiming happened. They fired two of their uh, surface-based anti-ship missiles at, from, you know, from the shore uh, to the uh, to the vessel, and I, I'm a little confused as to exactly how that works. I mean, I, I remember when the Moskva was launched, and, and I was—I mean, we chased that airplane around when I was when I was flying uh, reconnaissance uh, work for the Air Force, and it, it has a very good anti-air suite. Most of the most of the Soviet era warships did. So I'm not really clear how two anti-ship missiles managed to get in there. The Ukrainians are claiming that they distracted the crew with a couple of uh, drones, but the, the drones are are very slow-moving and uh, it would be easy targets for the kind of uh, surface-to-air capability they have on that ship. So I don't I don't know exactly how it happened, but that's... The Ukrainians claim they hit it with two anti-ship missiles. The Russians claim that there was a fire on board and that an ammunition uh, setup exploded. I, I, either either one is, is plausible. Um, I will say that, that one of the things we, we knew about Soviet-era warships is they had terrible damage control. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, I hit... If you manage to get a hit on one of those warships with, uh, you know, with a missile or a bomb or even a torpedo, they would have, they would have trouble, uh, you know, containing fires and things like that. So it, it's possible this, this, you know, it was in fact hit. I don't, I don't know if we had assets up that, that could, 
that. But uh, in any event, well, maybe the fire uh, came. It's a huge. It's a huge. It's a huge black eye for the for the Russian military. Maybe the, the fire came right after the missile hit, and they're both right. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I the, the Russians, like I said, whatever the Russians are admitting to, it's it's at least twice as bad. So it's quite likely. That, you know, it, it's certainly possible. I will, I can't say likely because I don't know, but it's certainly possible that they that they did get some some missiles in there and uh, and hit the hit the vessel. It's an old, it's an old ship. It was launched in 1979, so it's been around a while. But that that just a huge, just a huge black eye for uh, for the Russian military. And uh, I'm sure uh, I'm sure Putin is, you know, starting to rage about the incompetence of his uh, of his military officials. I just I wonder if, like uh, like we're seeing in Ukraine on the ground, I wonder if there were a couple of admirals on the vessel. When uh, when it got struck, and whether they've lost some more high-ranking officers. Well, I would. There was a, uh, as you know, I've somehow gotten addicted to this core digest because people ask questions they never even thought they were going to ask me. Uh, a guy was uh, he asked a question about why was the U.S. Navy in World War II more uh, able to survive, you know, battles and so forth than the Japanese Navy, and we got a very interesting take on it, Lou. And I don't know if you if he, you think he's all wet, but. It, he said the, the the people who were the leaders in our military at the time, guys like um, what was that? Admiral, uh, who was the guy? You mean Halsey? Uh, no, who, who, who King. Uh, Ernest King. Ernest King was was uh, uh, the well, who was the chief of naval operations. But who, who was the, the dude that they came into Pearl Harbor after it got bombed? Was his name? He, he ended up running the, the Pacific Theater. Uh, I believe. I believe that was King. Um, there's another. There was another name in there somewhere. Anyway, uh, but he was uh, he was saying that these these guys, they they weren't really all like navy brats. They were uh, even though they've been in the navy a long time. They their their background was in engineering. You know, they came from places where on farms and things like that. He said they were very very practical in terms of. Uh, well, and, and, look, Annapolis, where a lot of these guys came out of, as well as West Point. Were engineering schools, both of them. You you graduated from those those colleges with an engineering degree. Well, they, they said that all the little stuff, stuff about the watertight doors, making sure that when the when the planes left, you you pulled all the gas hoses off the deck. I mean, all those kinds of things were 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 stuff that people thought of. That weren't necessarily Navy people. It had to do with their backgrounds. And he said, we, our guys were just very, very good at that and very concerned about it. Um, that, that, you know, that the idea our ships didn't sink. Even, I mean, it, how many times they sink the York Tower, the Horn, or whatever it was, before it finally went down about four? I mean, uh. uh yeah, the, I mean, I mean, it, it, it's impossibly difficult to, to sink an aircraft carrier with, with conventional ordnance. Yeah, even, mo- even modern conventional ordnance. And uh, but I'm saying is the uh, I'm talking about Chester Nimitz. Oh, okay. And uh, I'm saying that all, they said all these guys had this incredible engineering background that they basically spent a lot of their time not just doing, uh, you know, learning how to shoot other people's ships and stuff. They had to do with the ships themselves, and, and uh, they were constantly retrofitting to make things safer and every little thing about where the you know turn letting the air aviation fuel not letting that anywhere and that, that type of thing. Is where the Japanese got caught 
at, at Midway with all the with all the uh, hoses on deck. That's why the things went up so fast. Well, they they got them. They caught them in in the middle. I mean, if if we if we'd been ca- caught in a similar situation, we would have been in trouble because what happened was they had all their airplanes out on the deck. But but gen- as a general rule, that's I think that's correct. The other thing that plays into it is that we have always because we're a democracy we have always been very cognizant of our own casualty figures and and even even in situations where we were doing a terrible job in terms of strategy and battle management and things like that we our military leadership notwithstanding their general stupidity in, in some of these combat operations has always been focused on trading equipment for lives and and we we've always looked at you know combat situations as as you know things to try to minimize taking steps to minimize our casualties. That that by the way is one of the great comments about MacArthur versus the guys in the European theater. You know we lost MacArthur, notwithstanding some of the incredibly savage fighting that went on in the Pacific. You know we we lost fewer people. In uh, in the Pacific operations than than we did in the European theater by by a significant factor, and and a, a lot of it was just the fact that MacArthur managed and his people managed these these kinds of conflicts um, and and uh, Nimitz too with with an eye to trying to minimize loss our loss of life and maximize the enemy's loss of life, and and they traded they traded equipment for it and that that's Still, the case. We're, we're very sensitive. We're, we're much more sensitive than a lot of other a lot of other militaries to our casualty numbers. Um, uh, the Russians the Russians have always, you know, had a completely different outlook. They they've expend people, and and that's been their stuff. Is their style of fighting under the Soviets? It's, it's their style of uh, their style of military operation now. Did you? Uh Ever read uh, um, George Marshall's Soldier and Statesman? Uh, um, I've read I've read a couple of biographies of Marshall, but I don't know if I've read that one. Well, he uh, it's, it's more of an autobiography, but it, uh, he dictated. I'm sure he didn't write it, but it was real interesting. He's, I thought that the uh, World War One and Spanish American War and early parts of his life, I had never heard anything about, and I was absolutely fascinated by it. Just fascinated by it. And, uh, and when he went over to World War One, his his chops came. Um, he was known as a guy, even though he, I think he was like a lieutenant. Um, he, he was a might have been a captain, but he his his story was logistics. And he went out on a couple of deals. He, when he, get a load of this, when he first came up, he was really young. He went out on horseback to go get I don't know, Pancho Villa, one of those guys we were, we were always chasing down in Mexico. And he said they went out for 30 days on horseback somewhere in this god-awful area in Texas. He goes, they come back, they never never found a sniff of a, of a Mexican soldier. Everybody's 25 pounds lighter, the horses are half dead. And he's like, never again am I going to go out on something like this where we had no intelligence, not the right equipment, not enough food, no no real design on where the hell we were going or how we were getting back and any, anybody giving us supplies along the way. He goes... I'm never doing this again. This is this is insane. <laughs> and I get in the Spanish American War. I guess the ships left the dock with the soldiers on them 
an hour or two before the train showed up with all the fresh pr- produce for the tr- troops. Yeah. Well, yeah, if you, if you, and, and we learned this lesson over and over again. If you read the Liberation Trilogy uh, by uh, Rick Atkinson, which talks about World War II, if you read about the invasion of North Africa uh, and the incompetence in terms of planning and execution that we saw there, you know, it's amazing we did not lose every every guy we put ashore in North Africa. And if we'd been up against more competent resistance, we would have. When we ran into the Germans, finally, head-to-head, and we weren't fighting French Vichy uh, uh, forces or uh, natives, when we ran up against the Germans the first time at a place called Kasserine Pass, we got annihilated because of our, our, our incompetence in terms of weapons choices and equipment and logistics and tactics and stra- uh, throughout in that area. But by, you know, the great, the great secret of our, our military success in, in the European theater in particular was the fact that our learning curve was almost vertical. Yeah. We, we, got, we got into conflict, we got our asses kicked, excuse the expression, and, and, and then we snapped out of it. And and started to started to improve and improved very rapidly, so that by the time, you know, the end of the North Africa campaign was rolling around, you had people like Patton and and a couple of these other uh, lower ranking generals who were right up front with their troops, who who had a much better understanding of, of how to fight, a much better understanding of how to supply, and and you know, were able to hold head-to-head with the finest military in the world, which was the, which was the Germans. And, I mean, you, it, it, if you read about the campaign in Italy, where, where the, you know, the Germans kept their best troops in place there, right up to the, almost up to the very end, you know, it was a terrible, horrible fight, but it was a fight that we were prevailing in, even though every advantage was with the, uh, was with the Germans in terms of, Terrain and and uh, you know placement of weapons and things like that, and yet we were able to we were able to fight into a standstill and, and move or advance against against a very competent enemy. Well, the, uh, uh, and then that paid big dividends when we when we came ashore in D Day. But a lot of it, a lot of it, I think, had to do with the well the mentality from, from up top, which was Marshall was chief of staff. And I'm not you know pushing the guy like he's you know he's a hero. Well, he was, I think. But the uh, his whole idea was. Every single time he sent a man into, he would have more food, more bullets, more grenades, oh, yeah. more toilet paper, whatever he needed to come out of there, but a better chance of coming out alive. Our guys were going to have in the logistics. Well, let me let me give you let me give you a story about a guy named Otto Scorzini, who was the sort of the head of the modern special operations movement. Scorzini, the, the German, one of the things that, that we downplay right now and, and it's ironic given the total military incompetence that the Germans demonstrate today but in World War II a German company you know of a hundred soldiers was in terms of combat effectiveness the equivalent of maybe two companies of British or American troops and, and maybe three companies of Russian troops in terms of their combat effectiveness and how, how well they could, they could fight. It was a function of equipment, tactics, and training. Scorzini was the head 
of a very special group that Hitler's Hitler had organized. You know that that were basically they were special operations people. They were like Green Beret, you know, SEALs, Navy SEALs. So during the Battle of the Bulge, Skorzeny's troops overrun a uh, an American encampment, and as he's going through the the tents, he picks up a box that contained a fresh cake that had been sent to some soldier by his mother back in Pennsylvania. Really? And Scorzani said to himself, he published in his latest memoirs, which he published later, he said, I knew then we'd never win. We could not beat a country that had the material ability to transport a cake across the Atlantic to an individual soldier in such a manner that it was still fresh and edible by the time it got to the front. That is and, scary. And, and that, that, that's, to my mind, is the sort of the perfect triumph or picture of American logistics in the war. Well, the the Japanese part was was actually brutal to read because it was, I think we had, you know, our, our guys were outfitted with, you know, what, 50 bullets apiece or 100, and their guys had like six. And they would just wing themselves at the other people's stuff when they ran out of bullets and it really was, it was almost, well, I mean, it was wartime, I mean, I'm not... Uh, oh, you, you have, it was, you have no, my all-time favorite military quote after John Paul Jones' letter to Congress where he requests a commission, that, then it's, it's both by, by, by Navy people, I, I, I because I, frankly the Navy, the Navy and, and Army are intellectually superior to the Air Force in my mind. Um, but, and I say that as an Air Force, you know, an Air Force officer. Um, the first, the first, my first ever quote is the quote from John Paul Jones that you'll find on the Navy Memorial in Washington, D.C., which is when he's writing to Congress, he says, I have, I have no desire to be associated with a ship that is not fast, for I intend to go in harm's way. <laughs> which yeah. is just such a great, a great statement. But well, the second one, and you won't find this on the Navy Memorial, is Admiral, I, it's Halsey. And, and, Somebody asked him, some newspaperman asked him about, you know, the strategy or the, you know, the end result of the war. And Halsey said, by the time we're finished, Japanese will be a language spoken only in hell. Yeah, oh yeah. And, and I mean, you, you look at that kind of determination and the kind of a, of fervor. And, and that, that, by the way, is one of the points that Atkinson makes in his Liberation Trilogy is that while a number of our, some of our military leadership had that mentality, the line force did not, and they had to develop it. And it was a killing mentality. The idea that we would, you know, you're going to lay waste to the to the other side. You're going to kill every one of their people. We're not interested in being merciful or understanding or have, taking halfway measures. This is a war of annihilation, and that that's how we have to fight it. Well, I don't think there's any doubt about that, it, it, but it doesn't still doesn't stop you from wondering what the hell the other side is thinking to send all their kids someplace without the equipment to get their to get killed i mean it's it you know you, you wonder what what's going on I, I don't know how that military group ever managed to to put this over on the japanese people what they did i mean good lord of course I mean, that, that whole, that, but their, their their culture their culture was and there was very martial and in in many respects chief it was a death culture 
Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. I, I, you know, I'm just saying. I mean, I mean I, I, Patton's, Patton's famous line about, you know, you, you don't you don't win a war by dying for your country. You win a war by making the other person die for his. Well, that is the truth. <laughs> and that's, you know, that that's I think that's the, the way to look at it. Um, yeah, t- the other story, the other story I wanted to talk about because I always want to get a sports story in is what's happening with the Washington Redskins, the Washington Football Team, the Washington Commanders. I think I got all the names. Hey, right real, real quick, what, what, what's the story with that kid in Miami that was running across the expressway and got killed? I have absolutely no idea. The quarterback. I have absolutely no idea. Well, that went from being you know? really, really lighthearted to very, very sad. Yeah. Well, I thought. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I mean, I mean, I mean. I, you want me to, you know, Florida man? You know, do you, is, is that? I, I don't, I don't well, know. Florida um, man. I can't. I, well, he wasn't supposed maybe to be. Maybe we'll find out he was impaired. Maybe we'll find out he was going to meet a girlfriend. Maybe he was. I mean, I can't imagine what you're doing on the side of a freeway at what was it one in the morning. Well, it's yeah. one thing if your car broke down, but I don't think that's what... It, I, I don't know. I'm just, is, was he supposed to be the uh, Raff, uh, Big Ben's replacement? Or was he just a, a second... Well, not just a second-string guy, but was he... Was he uh, um, I, I mean, I don't know if he was supposed to be Roethlisberger's replacement. He's had trouble catching on in the league. He was a, a very good quarterback at, I think, Ohio State, but he has not... He's not had a tremendous amount of success in the NFL, not commensurate with his draft status. Hey, guys, I'm going to ask you one real quick question, because because then start what you want to say about uh, Washington, and we'll go to break. But whatever happened to the the lawsuit about the bears and the drugs? As far as I know, it's still going on. I haven't seen any indication that it was settled. It's been years. I know it has. Well, yeah, it's been years. I mentioned it. I was still in Chicago when when we yeah. last talked about it. Got those guys will all be the well when we first talked about it. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I haven't heard. I haven't heard anything uh, anything about it. It may have settled. Um, I would expect to have seen an announcement on that. I'll, let me let me do some digging and see if I can come up with something on that. All right. So what? Uh, we got a minute. We're, so, we're going to start on the the Washington, whoever they are, or the, or the Cleveland Guardians. I like that too. Well, I keep I can't keep the Commanders and the Guardians straight, and I I finally have to sort of lock myself into the the Guardians, which is what the Space Force people call themselves. I, I had to lock myself into that for baseball, so that that helps. But <clears throat> so the Redskins situation has has gotten to a point now, and, and uh, there are a couple of themes that I I just wanted to raise. You have what is essentially a run of the mill sexual harassment situation alleged with with the Redskins. Now, when I say run of the mill, I don't mean to you know minimize the trauma or whatever was going on, but it, it it really is a corporate setting, and so the problem, of course, is that the women that were involved all waited too long to file anything, and so there's virtually no remedy. Even though they made these claims, there's virtually no remedy available to them on, for sexual harassment uh, under under either D.C., Virginia, or federal law. So so they are now, you know, they, the, the first thing that happened once everybody realized this is they, they the plaintiff's lawyers who can smell a payday a mile away are thinking, you know, I can I can force this issue by by trying to get Congress involved. Well, why don't we, uh, let's, let's, can we push this yeah. after the break, bud? SB Futures down one, NASDAQ Futures up four, be right back, talking about the Washington, whatever they are, uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about Elon Musk doing his 
Boy, if Lou had that kind of, kind of money, he'd be buying everybody too. We'll be right back. Stocks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox. The control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage health care costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation and human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation of the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I did invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now. Hello and welcome back to Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tom Powell. Tom on the board. SP futures down two. Is it futures down a dollar and a half? Uh, so not much happening uh, at this hour. We got Dow futures up 58. Uh, see what's up in the Dow causing that. We've got uh, Goldman Sachs up a buck. Uh, IBM up 265. It's pretty big move for IBM. So that's that's what's causing the up move. Remember, uh, one one dollar move in the uh, United Healthcare is up three. One dollar move in the Dow. The Dow stack is. 
I don't know exactly, but it's probably seven, seven and a half bucks. So the multiplier there is pretty good. Uh, over in Asia, we've got the Nikkei up 328, 1.2% is two days in a row. Shanghai up 38, 1.2% as well. Hang Seng up 143.7%. Uh, uh, the uh, Singapore and South Korea have tightened their money supply a little bit, which we're supposed to be doing here, although I don't, I don't buy that they're actually doing it. Over the DAX up 59 points, 0.4%. FTSE up, uh, 50 cents. So we'll call that one flat. Kek around up 35.5%. Yesterday we were up, a big day yesterday to the upside. We were, uh, Dow was up 344, S&P up 49, and NASDAQ up 272. So big bounce back after the really lousy day on Monday. Uh, bonds, uh, 2.68, that's unchanged. The bonds up three basis points to 0.80. Uh, Japan unchanged at 0.24. Oil, down a buck to 103.22, but still over 100 bucks. Brent down 132, 107.46. Now this is the big one today. Wow. Natural gas up 11 cents to 710. I, this thing went to 6 bucks, went back down under 4. Now it's back up 7. This natural gas has been just wild the last year and a half, and it's a huge contract. So it's only really traded by the big guys. You're not going to see Eliani and me with a 10 lot of natural gas contract. Or she might, but would be above my pay grade. Arbob down 3 cents, 3.25. We've got gold. Down 6.30, but still 19.78. Silver down 17 cents, 25.85. See if gold makes a turnaround today. It makes a run towards uh, 2,000. Uh, copper unchanged at 4.71. And we have Bitcoin down 161 to 41,025, but still higher than yesterday. Uh, we're up there in a day yesterday, so I don't know when exactly they, they have these, when they cut off of when it's up and when it's down, because sometimes we'll do this one morning and it's 39,000 the next day it shows it down 150 and it's 41,000 so it's kind of crazy Eliani what do you got for us Traffic Weather Sports Sox win yes they did yes they did good morning everyone currently 6.35 a.m. on April 14th let's start with sports Uh, looking at hockey the Blackhawks will be hosting tonight uh, at the United Center playing the Sharks at 7.30 and Coyotes will be playing the Canucks in Vancouver tonight at 9 o'clock so look forward to those games in uh, baseball, uh, Diamondbacks uh, beat the Astros last night 3-2, to two, and White Sox beat the Mariners last night 6-4, to four, and White Sox will be hosting the Mariners tonight at guaranteed rate today for a game at 1.10 p.m. Uh, looking at weather this morning, currently sunny, 38 degrees in Chicago with a high of 51 and a low of 36. And Phoenix, currently sunny, 52 with a high of 84 and a low of 50. Looking at a bit of traffic this morning, we have traffic eastbound on 290 between Highway 45 and Central Avenue, traffic eastbound on I-90 between the 294 North Tri-State Ramp and Lawrence, bit of traffic eastbound on 94 between West North Avenue and Canal Port, traffic westbound on 94 between 51st and West Ontario, traffic northbound on 55 between Route 171 and the 94 East Ramp, and traffic northbound Lakeshore between East 18th and East Grand, and finally traffic southbound on Lakeshore between Michigan Avenue and East Balboa Drive. Back to you, Chief. So we noticed, uh, even though he's putting on a good face, that Lou really is a a little grumpy this morning. Now I know why. (laughs) He's mad at Washington. Lamborghini customers are now waiting for more than 12 months for a new Lamborghini. Oh, is that why? Yeah, <laughs> nobody, nobody in their right mind, and I, I say this, even though I've seen those cars on the streets here, nobody in their right mind would drive a car like that in Denver. I mean, year round. What about if you, Chicago? If you had a, you had a supercar, you would have to have it garaged for a substantial part of the year because they don't plow the streets here in Denver. Right. 
Well, they don't and repair so, the potholes here. You could lose one at Lamborghini in a pothole here. Well, the potholes, I, I, I get it. Uh, you know, I just, if you're in a cold weather climate and, and they're not taking care of the roads, uh, and as I said, they, they plow only, they plow only the major, major, major thoroughfares and they don't, they don't plow them more than once or so during a snowfall. If you get, that's, that's less than 12 inches. If you get a, a snowfall of three to four inches, traffic here is paralyzed trying to get out of its neighborhoods and, uh, and onto the onto the side streets. And so having a car like that here is a is a, a pure, you know, waste, an absolute waste. <laughs> well, you guys can, consumption. You guys yeah. don't do what uh, I was looking for. At, guys, at that point it's just a useless flex, right? You, you dudes don't do salt either, right? I'm sorry? You don't do salt on the roadways, right? No, we don't. Neither does there's Portland. No, there's no chemicals here. Yeah, Portland's the same way. They don't uh, do salt. All right, so what's up? What's up with the, uh, the so so the Redskins? And I'm going to keep calling them the Redskins just because it's it's easier. And I can the Commanders just doesn't rolls off my you know rolls off my lips. And I'm eventually going to start calling them the Commodores, which will make them sound like a music group. Yeah, but the, the the Redskins get involved in the sexual harassment case. The case can't go forward because the women waited too long. But but they're infuriated about it, and so they got their allies in Congress to take the case. You should be asking yourself, why is Congress investigating a National Football League team? Who cares? Right. There's a whole mechanism in place for this. On the and and and, and that this this investigation, because it's it's a leak riddled, is spinning off all kinds of things. You remember the John Gruden termination? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. from oh, from uh, Vegas. That's a that's a direct outgrowth of this investigation and the six hundred thousand emails that that supposedly have been reviewed. And then being selectively leaked by by somebody who who saw them either at NFL headquarters or or somewhere else. Um, the the situation now is that the congressional committee that's doing the investigation and I, again, why is Congress even doing this? Um, sent a letter to the FTF, uh, Federal Trade Commission saying it looks like the Snyder people have been doing a couple of things that are either illegal or immoral or a combination of both, or we just don't like Dan Snyder. Um, one of them is the withholding of season ticket holder deposits to the tune of maybe $5 million, and that that violates the terms of the season ticket holder clause. Again, why this is a Congress issue, I don't know. The other one, which is to my mind more interesting, is that Snyder apparently was diverting um, revenue from NFL games and ticket sales at NFL games that would typically go to the visiting club. He was diverting that revenue into uh, the Notre Dame Navy football game revenue category or he was uh, diverting it into a concert, a Kenny Chesney concert revenue stream, so that he wasn't re uh, required to account for that money to visiting clubs, and he wasn't required to account for it under the revenue-sharing provisions. This is, in my mind, the real issue here, and, and, and something that actually could cost him the football team. The sexual harassment stuff is, a, is an internal... You know, Redskins issue that that typically would be dealt with through civil courts, but the 
revenue sharing stuff where he's literally cheating his fellow owners is something that could cause them to force him out. I bet, and, I bet he and, learned it from another owner, Lou. Well, uh, I mean, that may or may not be true, but, but if, in fact, he was keeping a separate set of books, and that's what his, his former VP of marketing and sales is alleging, if they were keeping a separate set of books with an, in order to, to circumvent this stuff, then, then you know, a couple of things come into play. The first is that they have been desperate to get a minority owner into the NFL. Uh, the only team up for sale is the Broncos. But the Broncos are being sold by a trust, which means, excuse me, they are relatively immune from the kind of uh, race-based pressure, if I can use that term, that, that the NFL might exert on an ownership group that's actually selling. Because the trust doesn't have any options. They have to sell for the, to the highest bidder. And, and the NFL really can't leverage that against them. But the Redskins are not held by a trust. They're held by a private owner, that's Snyder, who is heavily leveraged. And, I mean, if you're looking for, a, <coughs> if your goal is to put a, a minority group in, in, uh, in an ownership position, what's happening with Washington is the perfect spot if you're trying to leverage in and cut, you can go to Snyder and say, look, you've got to sell to this African American ownership group. Uh, and if you don't, we're, we're going to, we can affect the ability of you to sell the club under any circumstances. Well, 10 years ago, wasn't, wasn't the, the Redskins the most profitable team in football? Um, I don't know if they were the most profitable, profitable, but they were one of the, one or two most valuable. You know, when, I, that's no longer the case because of the Dallas. Yeah, I think this before, just when the Dallas thing went up, I remember reading, I was kind of surprised that it was Washington, but they had the, the great new stadium, they had like the highest ticket prices in football, and the guy had something else going for him. And they, they, were, they were, I think they were considered, if they weren't the most, they were one of the top three. They, they, were, they were up there, you know, but of course now the, the other factor that goes into the valuation of these teams, and this is why the, Red, the uh, Broncos are going to, they think are going to sell north of $4 billion, is, the, is sports gambling. And the, and the gambling and uh, revenue streams associated with the gambling packages that the NFL is allowed to flourish. You know, I can't, that, I can't, that is I, driving up the valuation of even small market teams like Denver. This is a, a subject for, for maybe a, a long morning for you and I, but I cannot put the math together on this sports gambling to the, the massive uh, cow, cash cow these people are putting together. I just... In, in Illinois here, I can't. This is the fourth time in my lifetime that gambling is going to save me and everybody else's ass. First, it was the uh, the lottery; it was going to pay for all, all schools. Then it was off track betting. Then it was going to be the casinos, and now it's going to be sports gambling. How, how, Lou, you, there, there's only you, you bet a hundred bucks, you win a hundred and ten. There, only the, the whole vig is ten percent. I mean, I know it's more on the gimmick bets, the lottery, and all, or the, what do you call that? The lottery, the uh, parlay cards and stuff. That they that they that the gimmick bets you know essentially <laughs> scratch all the money out of people. But do we really think that this is going to be the savior of all sports and all society? I mean, look, it's, it's just another tax on people. How many how many times can you grab the blood out of the turnip for God's sake? Uh, as many times as people are willing to uh, to put money put money in and or grow the turnip. I mean, the the short answer is that <clears throat> sports gambling is tremendously attractive to to 
not just Americans, but to people worldwide. And and the idea that you can support your team and be a member of your tribe by putting a bet down. I mean, I mean, think of think of the participation rates in uh, you know the NC2A tournament. I, I, but that's one time a year. It's one week. People do it amongst but their it, friends. But it's tapping. It's tapping into a, a basic, some basic desire. I know. Of, I, I know. I, I I understand it. By the way, Lou, I love to gamble. <laughs> so it's it, it, it's going to Vegas five times a year before I became a trader. I mean, I mean, I I, I get it. But I also know that it, there's also a limit to it. I mean, what you ended up so you got casinos in Illinois. What'd you do? You put all the horse tracks out of business. Okay, now and now you have you have betting in everybody's bar and and the south side, not in the city. And what do you do? You put you put the slot machines and the casinos out of business because now the state's the casino. There's a, so there's only a certain amount of cash. You just keep shoving it around. When the when well, the, I mean from the from the NFL's perspective, uh, the the sports gambling, you know, MGM and all this, the online phone sports gambling that that's available now is a godsend because it allows the NFL to siphon. A portion of that revenue that it never had access I, I, to. I, 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 I absolutely understand that, but what I'm saying is, when the Rivers Casino opened, we're, we're talking about two different pieces of the chessboard. I, I get the glee with which this is there. This is going to be great. Okay, well, okay, fine. When they opened the, the Rivers Casino, it opened to huge fanfare. It was busy as all get out. And at the end of six months, their increased revenue was exactly the same as the decreased revenue in the rest of the casinos. What I'm saying, wouldn't surprise me a bit. So what I'm saying is the, the people have that like to gamble have gambling budgets. I mean, the NCAA, all the money spent on the NCAA, I'm going to say way, well, I don't, I don't know, the, I shouldn't say that. But my guess is that most of it's wagered privately. Calcutta's sure. and things like that, that the state doesn't get a piece of. It's all, it's all a part of the state getting a piece of the stuff and becoming a taxing thing. I mean... You and I, I mean, how do we, how do we know how many bets in, in, a, in, a, in a bar used to happen, you know, Bears versus Colts or something or whatever, it was the Packers, how many bets were there that the state didn't get their, their, their grimy mitts on? Now they don't want anybody doing that. They want everybody... No, no, I, I, I agree. No, it, it's like it's like legalization of dope, Yeah, you know. So I I get it. The idea is that, we'll, uh, you know, if, it, if it's prohibited and people <clears throat> seem to want to engage in it, We'll just legalize it so we can get uh, we can get our, our mitts on the uh, on on the dollars. Well, I, I, I watched I watched a Cub game the other day for for two innings because I'm pretty much down on baseball. But uh, I uh, in lieu I watched the replay that looked to me like the guy was in there and it would have tied the game and they disallowed it. Of course, what what is how how I gotta ask this question. I don't want there's no such thing as a stupid human being, but how stupid are these guys, Lou? I mean, if you, I don't know, you're, you're not much of a baseball guy, but the first thing you tell kids when they're five years old is do not dive into first base. By the way, you're going to kill yourself, and, and you're not going to get there any faster because you ever saw a sprinter dive over to the thing. Uh, and, it, and yet this guy in the Cubs dives into first base, and it looked to me like he got in there anyway, but I think he easily, not easily, but he would have got in there for sure if he just would have kept running like you're supposed to. Now... Not to mention the fact the guy's you know looking at his hand like if he broke his thumb or something, so they do the replay and uh, they say the guy didn't get there in time. Well, on the replay, if he'd have been safe, a run scored would have tied the game. So now it's Cubs are still down three to two. So then the relief pitcher and the other team comes in, 
Lou, he pitched eight balls in a row that were nowhere near the strike zone. Audrey could care less about baseball. She's like dozing on the couch. She wakes up. She goes, how is that a strike? <laughs> it's Audrey, for God's sake. I mean, I sit there and go, everybody's betting on this. My The first thought in my mind is that, he, that these ups have money on this game. It just popped right into my Because how, how all of a sudden have we decided that everybody's immune from this, Lou? When it's all around you, it's like it's like taking the car, the Broadway Limited in New York. When you're sitting in the in the club car with all the gamblers back in the twenties, of course. Oh, no, I, I, this is a, this is the whole point of why the NFL, you know, for years and the NC2A for years fought against any whiff of gambling coming into their into their operation because because it, it the the calls, the player effort, all of this becomes subject to question when there might be money riding on it. How, how do we decide? I mean, this is why I suspect this is why we're going to see, uh, one of the reasons we're going to see automated strikes and balls here before uh, before the end of, uh, you know, for another two or three years. Well, hey, I got a, a question for you uh, uh, regarding this Elon Musk. Oh, oh well, there's one yeah. other thing I wanted to know right. about Ukraine. Sweden and NATO, or Sweden and Finland look like they're about to join NATO. The Russians are apoplectic and are now threatening to move nuclear weapons into a place called Kaliningrad, which I've mentioned on the show before. Um, I think the assumption by NATO was that the Russians had nukes in there anyway. But but I want you to look at, you know, Sweden and NATO, or Sweden and Finland joining NATO. You know, this would not have happened 30 years ago. Because everybody looked around and thought, you know, we got to really worry about the Russian military machine. Remember the remember the formula of deterrence. The Russian military has now proven itself to be a, a giant with feet of clay, to use the old historical term about the Ottoman Empire. And they're not, you know, deterrence is a combination of will to use military force times the capability to use that force. And everybody's looking at Russia and saying, you don't have the capability anymore. And so, at some point now, you know, this escalation's going to go up. The Russians, <clears throat> the, the NATO, the NATO expansion will, will bother the Russians tremendously. They see themselves being encircled. They may decide this would be an opportune time to hit an, a convoy coming into Ukraine. And they they threatened to do this, either in uh, the western part of Ukraine or in Poland or one of the other states where these these weapons are transiting. And this is particularly true. We've just given the go ahead to I believe it's uh, the Czech Republic to move fighter aircraft in there. Don't don't be surprised if this triggers some kind of response. Well, I uh, you know I've the been scope of Ukraine. As you know, I've been. Uh, you and I have talked off air a few times because uh, Angelica is very, and uh, one of the issues. And I was you and I were talking about it the other morning, the other day. Said, how exactly is all this stuff getting in there, and uh, are, what are the Russians doing about that? Because that would be, if I'm them, which I'm, which I'm not. If I'm them, I'm sitting. Okay, all these guys are pouring all this stuff in there. Where's it all landing? We, we, I mean, you can't just if you're, I mean, if you're, if you're. You know these these sort of limited kind of military things always kind of are weird to me anyway. But how, I mean, you're just going to let everybody land 
90 bazillion aircraft 50 feet over to Poland and pull it right across the border. I mean, how do you how do you let that happen if you're the Russians? Of course, the Russians are, in my mind, are totally wrong in the first place. But still, uh, if you're them, it's, how do you let that happen? Yeah, we're, we're we're headed. This is back in. We're headed back into World War One territory. Remember, we talked about yeah. this early on about about great powers being drawn into you know regional conflicts in which our national interests are not clear. And and I'm I'm quite nervous about the fact that we are now we now seem to be looking around going to the Russians <clears throat> looking at the Russians and going yeah you guys don't scare us anymore and and yet they should because of their of their nuclear capability and and so the issue now is are we are we opening up an expansion of the conflict to such an extent that the Putin people will have no choice in their own mind but to strike NATO targets that are resupplying Ukraine. Well, that's... And I, 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 I'm, thinking, I'm thinking we're headed in that direction. I think we might. But the other, the other side of the coin, again, I'm not... Don't ever think that I'm justifying what the, what the Russians are doing. Oh, I, no, no. I and I'm, not, and I'm yeah. not either. I'm just talking about, you know, this part of the conflict. The fact, the fact that the initial invasion was totally illegal does not authorize under international law some other kinds of responses. Right. Well, I guess where I'm, where I'm going with this, Lou, is it's, it's very similar in some ways to, to the, the Vietnam experience. If, if, if we, not we, if, if everybody decides, including the people in Ukraine, because they're the ones that are doing it, if everybody decides that virtually every citizen is now part of the, quote, army, you're, you're, you're way away from the Gettysburg situation where one citizen got killed because of Aaron Cannonball landed on him in bed or something. Uh, have you ever seen the house where the Cannonball hole is still in it? It's anyway. Oh, yeah. Um, but the idea that every, every, you know, you were talking a few weeks ago regarding, you know, every grandma can put one of these, whatever these missiles are, come around from the side of a building and nail a tank. Well, if that's what you're going to do, fine. But now if you're with the Russians, if every person is decided they're becoming a, a uh, essentially a soldier against you, even though you're the ones in the wrong, I'm going to say that, uh, you're going to think that every person out there, including Grandma, is the enemy. How can you not? Yeah. No, that that's that's the danger. That's the danger of insurgent conflict. Yes, I mean, and that's why you know you, you can't ever let these things start because they all they all get out of hand, right, Lou? They all. What did a uh, what, what did the guy say in, uh, the guy who became the senator in, uh... Yeah, the hunt for Red October, the, uh, yeah. um, the guy who plays that, the Admiral on he, the he just died. aircraft carrier. He, died, yeah. he died of cancer. I really liked him. He, he ended up being senator of, uh, Tennessee, right? Tennessee, right. What did he say? That this thing will get out of hand? <laughs> and people yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's, this, this is, somebody, I don't have any, I have zero confidence in our foreign policy establishment right now. And, and, and the leadership at the top, as you know, um, I think I think we are we have been moving incrementally towards some very dangerous territory, and the Russians are going to have to respond. I mean, I mean this is we allowed the Iranians, for example, to to flood Iraq with uh, improvised explosive devices and things like that, and I thought. 
I thought that was a real mistake. <clears throat> but we did put a line down when they put their, their defense minister in uh, in Baghdad. We killed him. And, and, you know, at some point the Russians are going to say, you can't move these aircraft in here. We view that as an act of war. If you allow that to happen, <clears throat> we're going to strike those those targets. We reserve the right to do that. And and the short answer is uh, legally they've got they've got the right to do that. Or or they're going to you know so so I, I just look at the perspective. Look at this. What's happening from the from the Russian side? Black eye in Kiev. Black eye in the initial invasion. <clears throat> you lose your flagship of the of the Black Sea Fleet, the Moskva. NATO is about to expand right on your border with Sweden and Finland. So the, the lake that you have, have always considered to be absolutely essential for your well-being, that is the Baltic, is now about to become a NATO encampment. Your enemies that you believe, that you have basically declared war against, the West, are moving weapons into Ukraine and are prepared to fight to the last Ukrainian and are costing you huge amounts of men and equipment. At some point, all of this negativity, all this bad news, is going to cause you to say, I've got to respond to it. And and so the question is, how's it going to happen? Is it going to happen with chemicals? Is it going to happen with a nuke? Or is it going to happen with a large-scale conventional attack on the, on the well, we had, uh, place where these planes are located? We had a conversation the other day, uh, I think it was Mr. with Mr. Flanagan, regarding... Uh, uh, Mr. Flanagan, is his dad still? On? No. Uh, he uh, about is there anybody in our stable that has the chops to go somewhere and, and settle this? Do we have? Is there a Kissinger? Is there a Colin Powell? Do we have anybody of that level on either side of the aisle that we can look to a Daniel Inouye, somebody that has that everybody has worldwide respect for? Uh, like the, the couple of the UN secretaries used to be uh, like that. Is there anybody around that could pull this off? Um, I don't think. I don't think the well. Okay, so from a practical perspective, it is not. It is no longer the the situa- a situation where a third party coming in is going to have some influence on this. Putin has gotten himself into a situation where he has to win for his own personal safety. And, and so I don't think, I don't think the Russians are in any kind of position, either emotional, intellectual, or political, where they could accept a compromise that would involve anything less than the total annexation of a significant portion of Ukraine and, and occupation of, of Crimea, uh, and, and a change in, in the Ukrainian government. I don't see that and happening. I don't, I don't, I don't see that happening. So what does that mean? This thing just drags on forever, or it gets worse. I mean, it's, it's going to drag on. It's going to drag. It means it either a drags on for an extended period, like a year or two, maybe, or it it escalates. Aren't you a little nervous that maybe the Chinese are the wild card in all this? Uh, if they were closer, yes, but they've got their own issues. Right now, right now, the Chinese have something like 173 million people under lockdown. Now, I realize that's less, that's not quite 10 percent of their population, <clears throat> not quite, you know, not not a, a huge percentage of their population. But 
173 million people under lockdown. The major ports are shut down. Um, they, they, they are, they've got internal issues that are really paralyzing a significant portion of their economic output. Lou, everybody and they have to worry about that. Lou, everybody has to be every place. So locking That's people up. That's self-imposed, by the way. Yeah, when, when, when you get, I don't know how many people live in one place over there. I think in quite a few. You lock everybody down. I had some lady at CNBC the other day saying, since they locked everybody down, the amount of cases has gone through the roof. You lock everybody in small areas. How are you gaining anything by doing that? I, I don't know, but if, if you want to watch something that is absolutely horrifying, um, and I, I, I would caution the listenership, this is, this is a, the most graphic, awful stuff I've seen in a while. Look at the video coming out of Shanghai and a few other places of the suicides that are taking place there as a result of the lockdowns. It is, it is, I, I don't understand how, I don't understand how even a, a dictatorship like China can, can function with these kinds of images getting distribution among the population. People throwing themselves off roofs, off balconies, people hanging themselves in stairwells. It is, and, and I don't, these are not one or one-offs or two-offs. This is this is an epidemic, and I don't understand how the Chinese government can continue these policies, knowing that this is the impact. It's pretty scary. Lou, have a nice weekend, bud. Uh, the uh, Happy Easter and whatever else is going on out there. Everything and, those, and uh, we'll talk at you next week, bud. I have a uh, feeling we'll be able well, to talk about stay this. Stay away from the chocolate. Yeah, no. Let's <laughs> be futures up uh, down six fifty now, and as if futures down fifteen. Be right back, I'm Mr. Dan Janitas. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time decay for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed, and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body, too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hear ye, hear ye! The Homer Broadcasting System is on the air! 
Stocks, jocks, stocks, and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. One more page, Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom Howell. Eliani on the board. SP Futures now down 650. Nasdaq is down 17. We're up when we came in. Do we have Mr. Uh, Dan? Yes. How are you, buddy? Doing good. How are you? I'm doing all right. I I have a a pamphlet here that I've been uh, reading sort of uh, all week regarding inflation. But uh, before that, as soon as I stop coughing, uh, I have a question for you right out of the gate. So unless I get wandering through in my usual mental misfit, I forget to ask you. The uh, question is. Um, at the two and a half, three, three and a half percent number, we're starting to get, uh, based on your view of where this inflation is going. Of course, if you listen to the, I'll be nice and say the creatures on, uh, CNBC yesterday, everything's okay. We've peaked. It's starting to head down from here. Don't even worry about it. Uh, would you, and also, uh, we had a, one of our clients at one of the places that I do stuff for wanted to buy a, a two year treasury at 2.37 and, Lock that up is in your mind is is it too early to to make this move? You know, it's a good question, and and I think um, if you were to say longer term, I would say absolutely not because we're still seeing a lot of volatility. Uh, still likely that we're going to see higher rates. Even I mean, look what even happened over the past week. I mean, the two year um, was considerably higher than two thirty seven. Um, you know, five year was like a two eighty. Uh, Ten years at two eighty. So I would say if you can get over two fifty, um, start buying in, but don't necessarily make your full purchase at two fifty. So if you have, say, ten thousand dollars to invest, maybe just put half of it in. In um, once the two once the two years hits two fifty, and I can't promise this, but I will tell you there's going to be a lot more volatility coming, and that means rates are going to go up and they're going to come down. So try to time it on a day where you can get 250 or more, and I think the two-year would be a, a decent buy where you can lock in uh, 2%, 2.5%. Uh, um, but again, I wouldn't put all your money there because if you wait another month or so, it may be at 3%. Yeah, I, uh, even if, well, you and I had this, talk about a debate you and I had last week regarding uh, whether things have peaked or not. <laughs> uh and you and I were on sort of we weren't on opposite sides of the equation. I'm I'm looking at what I think is the lag time on this inflation, and I yes. think I think when I say I think we've peaked, it's totally different than when the people on TV say we, we've peaked. And yet it's the same word, right? <laughs> it, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, yeah. I I actually think that the the incredible increase in the money supply that was the last two years, really up until January. Actually, has come down a hair in in February, and that if you were honest with yourself, and we were right on tabs, and instead of saying inflation is eight and a half percent, if we were to look at last month's number unadjusted, which was one point three, and say the real number is fifteen point six, because one point three times twelve in my calculator or in my head is fifteen point six, I think last month or maybe or this coming month might actually be the, quote, peak. But the way these guys are calculating it now, 
it's nowhere near the peak because all of a sudden this is going to keep getting added even if next month it's 1.1 or 1.0 that's still going to be up in that 8% number plus if you go from 15.6% which I, if I'm right down to 14 or 13 for 6 months so what? You're, you're, right. you're still screwed, yeah. right? I mean, it's not like you, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's not like so. You know, be careful when you use the term. You know, you know, peaked. It's it's like it's like the 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 river has crested. Okay, but it's still over my roof. You know, right. <laughs> you know. So yeah, has it crested? I I actually, but I I don't even want to use the term peak because my definition is so so different than there. When did we go from multiplying the inflation rate of this month times twelve? And that's the inflation rate. Instead of worried about last year, last year was last year. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, if it, I mean, the PPI number that came out yesterday, I think eleven eleven point two percent year over year. Um, you know, not necessarily surprising, but but high. I don't know if I'm. I, I don't agree with the, the peaking. I, I do agree a hundred percent with what you're saying about all the money in the system. I do agree that some of it's come down, but I still think we have a ways to go. So. You know, we still have this flood of cash out there in the system that's continuing to, to keep the economy buoyant and not only buoyant, but very strong. And there, there's, there's continue, there's going to continue to be, um, an uptick, uh, in, you know, across the board as the effects of higher energy and higher food are being felt that impacts our businesses. So it, 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 you know, it, it falls over to, let's say, for example, Amazon putting a fee on now uh, for a, oh, yeah. sur- a, a surcharge for fuel. Well, somebody's going to be paying that. They're, they're going to pass that along, but that's inflation. And there's, we're going to see, I believe we're going to see more and more food inflation. Um, the, the airlines are, are still having trouble finding people. Um, so I don't know if you followed this recently or know anyone who's been traveling, but all kinds of flights are being canceled. I know Jeff Blue in particular is having having trouble. Well, they have to pay up to get people to work. They have to. Where the businesses is not going to be viable. And in order to do that, again, wages will continue to go up. So I do think that we're going to continue to see inflation. Now, where I do agree is that I think in terms of earnings, there's going to be somewhat of a, I don't want to use the word slowdown, but certainly a slowdown from what we've been seeing. And that's going to be a direct impact of some of the other you know, economic um, forces, you know, including, you know, the, the issues of supply that still haven't been, um, you know, they're still out there and still taking place. But I would say there'll be a slowdown, but not necessarily without um, higher inflation. Yeah, you just brought up, like, wherever you talk, you, you have so many good things to say that it gives me, like, five questions. Uh, right? You're, you're saying that you don't necessarily agree with my thought, maybe a hope, that the 1.3% monthly in March is the top. Are you saying we're going to have a a 1.6 number in June or July? We could, you know, like we could. And again, I think the reason for that is that, you know, as I was saying, some of the some of the results of um, the higher, you know, uh, raw material costs, the higher, you know, costs for transportation, um, the fact that we're still not, you know, we still have plenty of. Um, jobs that need to be filled. We need to see wages go higher still for that to happen. And at least in the short run, not necessarily in the long run, but in the short run, I think other businesses who haven't raised um, costs, I mean, haven't raised prices yet, will be raising prices based on some of these others. There's been a lot of businesses out there that I think are on the sidelines saying, ah, oh, we can 
make it another month, we can make it another quarter, we can pass them along to to our, our customers. Um, all, all is true, but at some point, I think in the near, the near, the near term at least, we're still going to see um, inflation continue to tick up. Well, you do, and, you, and do, you do realize um, that. I don't see anything changing that. I think that, you know, that there is a little bit of a temporary um, fix with with oil. Um, I don't see the war ending anytime soon, so I think that's going to continue to put pressure on commodities. Um, and as commodity, you know, again, it, it takes a little time for that, those higher commodity prices to come down to the consumer. So, so I would say that we are likely to see um, continued increases, you know, small increases, but continued increases in inflation in the, in the near term. But at the same time, I do think earnings are going to start to stabilize. You do realize that runaway earnings um, right now. I think that the you know the companies are going to have to take some of the hit themselves. You do realize the other if you were the issues that are going on in the banks. You know, J.P. Morgan and and some of the banks started reporting, and although in general there's you know everybody wants them to be positive, so there's an optimistic uh, lot of optimism um, because higher rates are good for financial institutions. But at the same time, you know they have hit you know hits. Direct hits taken from um, from some of their investments in Russia. Uh, you know, direct hits are going to be more direct hits are coming as higher interest rates um, have an impact on loans and mortgages and and so forth. So there's going to be you know it is we are going to see a a uh, you know a slowing if you will on the earnings side, but a, a rise I, I think still on on the inflation side. Dan, if you are correct, uh, I mean you were to fill out the rest of the paper like you're in a, a New Chicago classroom. Do you realize what you just said? If, yes. you're, if you're talking about 1.4, 1. 1.5, 1. 1.6, and I'm trying to be charitable here in my prediction, if you're right and not me, you're talking about a, a number of like 18 or 20 on a, on a, year, a year over year basis. When in, in the short run, when, yeah. this is, when this is all over, by by the time it's said and done, it won't be the short run. If you're talking, if my if I'm wrong and you're right, which I you know what I'm, I'm tempted to think you probably are. You know what I think you are. Uh, how could I admit I'm wrong? Already, did you did you dig into this producer price at all in the last two months? Two months, I know you have, but to a you know the the goods number in here for the last two months has been over two percent. Right. The service number has been nothing, which means that the the lawyer can't well. <laughs> the lawyer, they always manage to raise it. They can't raise their rates, but the the cost of the of the, the legal paper has gone up two percent a month. Because it, it, this this basically tells me that you're right and not me. But if you're if you're right, and we're talking one point five percent in April and one point six in May, we're we're what's what's one point seven? What's one point seven times twelve? For God's sake, twenty? Eighteen? Yeah. I mean, we're talking real numbers. Hey, I have a question for you. And uh, we're talking about what Carl asked. We got. If 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 the monthly falls off on the labor labor numbers, right? Right. Uh, but right now you're talking about all these labor shortages in these places, and I think Florida maybe has more than most because that's where people are moving. But we're, we're we're up to December of 2019. There's actually more people working now than then. Now I I think Dan, your memory's probably better than mine. The January and February of 2020 were actually pretty strong labor months. So I'm guessing we probably are not exactly back to, say, February of 2020, but we're pretty damn close. So we've got 
really just about as many people working now as before. And there's a lot of places that have closed. Why why are all these shortages? We got as many people working. Well, what do we do? What, what, where is it coming from? I just, I, I look at the numbers and I just, I can't put it together. Well, why am I wrong here? If we got the same amount of people. No, I, would, no, I think you have, you have a good point, and I, and, and I absolutely agree with you. Some of it I think is industry specific. You know, for example, airlines having, having, you know, difficulty finding people. You know, that industry has just been under a lot of pressure. It's just been a mess, you know, with, with what, uh, airline employees have had to deal with. Recently, so there's not a whole lot of attraction, you know, in terms of trying to get people, um, you know, whereas even just a few years ago, it may have been a lot easier to have to find people. But in order to find people, the only way they're going to be able to do that is to, to you know, make, uh, you know, the wages and the compensation package more attractive. And in doing that, again, that all, you know, that probably means higher affairs. That means, you know, it's, it has an impact um, across the board. Same thing with, with retail. Um, Certain places can, you know, or people are, you know, they're trying to automate certain um, businesses, but you still need to have people, um, you know, working. You still need to have customer service, and uh, there's, um, uh, you know, still a fair amount of empty positions there. And there, you know, we already seen them raising rates, but that's going to continue. And as those higher rates come on the on the wage side. Again, it's gonna it's gonna have an impact on those companies. It's gonna have an impact on the consumer, um, you know, the buyers of those goods and services. And so, it's, there's still some time, is what I'm saying, for this to continue to play itself out. And, I, and the one example I use is, you know, that I think is one that everyone can relate to is just Amazon throwing on the surcharge fee because you know they're having to deal with higher fuel costs. So that what they're doing is they're passing them along. Well, that means somebody's having to pay a little bit more money in the end. So that's inflation. Yeah, and well, so um, I don't think the full effect has been felt yet. Well, I don't think but I don't necessarily think a year from now it's going to be high. I just think in the next few months. Well, when are these guys, uh, assuming that they are straight, which I'm not assuming anymore, when, yeah. when, when, when are they going to put the, the real cost of home ownership and rent through there? They have a, that is, yeah, that's, that, that's, a, that's an absurd number in there they have for that. I yeah, I agree. I agree with you 100. percent And I think those numbers have been moving very, very quickly. There's been an acceleration in those numbers. Certainly, where I am, there's been an acceleration in those numbers. And it's you know some some of it obviously is supply and demand. But people are going to pay what they can get. You know, they're going to oh, yeah. whatever you know, and that's going to be that's pretty much across the board. And those are still um, you know, shelter is still considered you know. Your home, your rent is still considered probably your, your number one cost. And then, of course, look at cars. I mean, there's nothing in, in there's no end in sight in terms of seeing. Um, I think the, uh, Toyota was, came out yesterday saying that they don't see, you know, any type of improvement in pricing anytime soon because they're still struggling with the same issues of, you know, components and, and you know, labor and, and um, materials and all that. So that, you know, the, the, the big ticket items are still under pressure. Now, what could start slowing some of this will be higher interest rates. But we have to, you know, that hasn't gone through the, it hasn't gone through the system yet. It's still too soon. Have we ever, uh, anywhere in, in, in our lifetime, have we ever seen a situation where the, the, the average price of a car is either a little higher or damn close to the median salary of a person? Is it ever crazy? I mean, when, yeah. In, in 1979, I'm going to say that the median income was what would you guess? Twelve, 
15? Maybe, yeah, maybe a lot, yeah. And a car, a car yeah. was what, four and for a nice one? Yeah, it's very true, yeah. We're talking about like an Oldsmobile nice one, you know, the whole bit, not, you know, not, not your basic Chevy one. Uh, probably could have gotten into a Chevy for, what, 28? Right. I mean, I, I don't, uh, I mean, this, this thing with this producer price, now that you're arguing with me, uh, and not peaking, if I see, I'm seeing this 2.3% uh, number in the prices for two months in a row. You you got to be right. I got to be wrong. It, it, it can't possibly have peaked. I don't want you to be right, though. Do you? Right. No. And I, I don't necessarily want to be right, but I just think I want to be prepared. I think and you're prepared uh, for you know in terms of you know managing managing money and um, you know you. In, in terms of taking it from from this environment that we're in currently to what to do with your investments. It's actually you know I've been saying that we've been raising a little cash in here. I don't think it's a bad time to be doing that. For those people who are following the market day to day, because of all the volatility, you know you can make some money if you if you really want to play that. Um, you know the, the the growthier tech names, and you want to watch it uh, on a daily basis, and you want to make, but you want to make sure you've gotten in. Uh, you know, after a few days of a sell-off, you know, you know, I think at, at this point you, you need to be lightening up positions in those growth names. And you know, for if somebody is just saying, hey, I want to have that, you know. I want to be in the market, in the stock market. I just want to have um, some exposure. You know, where would you say to put your money? VYM, um, t- you know, ticker symbol VYM, which is a high, a Vanguard high dividend, high quality um, ETF. Uh, that is actually kind of held up pretty well in, in this volatile environment. So if you just want to have some exposure to a part of the equity market that, that has outperformed and is probably likely to continue to do well, that, you know, that's where I'd be. On the income side, I wouldn't change. You know, utilities, we still like preferred REITs. Um, we have access, you know, for our clients to institutional bonds, which are now starting to look attractive on the high-yield side. They're not as readily available to retail investors, but we're seeing some nice short-term, higher-quality bonds in the, you know, two-year range that are um, yielding 6%, um, and that's a decent... Uh, you know, I think that's a decent rate to get <clears throat> for a short-term bond. Um, with you know, with some credit risk, but with not a whole lot of credit risk. Um, and, and also, we have the ability to buy some, you know, some closed-end uh, private um, private credit funds. Um, which I think this is the time to start looking at some alternatives um, that are absolute return strategies that are going to give you a little bit of yield and a little bit of income uh, in an environment where neither stocks nor bonds. Look like particularly attractive investments right now. Dan, we've uh, I mean, you asked the question or answered the question, or I asked you answered the question earlier regarding, well, put something together for a couple of years, and obviously the six six and a half looks like a good number. Right? I yes. uh, just trying to tie together. I, I don't know if you listened to it was after, I think it was after our talk on Thursday, but it was a, Leon Cooperman was on, and he was talking about. You know, an inflation rate, he's saying it's 10. Uh, I think it's probably higher than that, but and so do you. But he's saying it's 10. He's, we've never had a situation where interest rates weren't like at least close to the rate of inflation. He goes, we're, and now we're not even, we're not even on the planet. So you're somewhat predicting that at least for a period of time, for a year, we might be in the 15, 16, 18% range. Are we still going to be getting one percent on our money or one and a half? I mean, how can that, that how can that even be, Dan? That it, that I'm going to I'm going to lend you a hundred bucks, knowing at the end of the year you're going to be back give me back eighty one dollars worth. 
Yeah, no, I, I, um, I think there was, there was some, you know, some of the banks were talking about this yesterday when the earnings were coming out and saying that they're going to be slow to, you know, to start, we're going to be, it's going to be slow to start seeing some sort of, um, real, um, rate of interest for, you know, for savings accounts, for example, uh, money market accounts and, and all that. And just for the same reason that you're, for, for the reason that you're saying is that we, we are in a negative interest rate environment. They, if, you know, it's it's the same. You know, it's the same thing. People have gotten used to not seeing a whole lot of money in their checking accounts. So, you know, only people like us are going to be raising a flag and saying, "Okay, wait a minute." Now the you know the the short rates are up um, two hundred and fifty basis points. You know, at some point, uh, we, we want to get a, a little bit of uh, interest back on our um, on our deposits. And and um, so, I think that is going to be. I, I totally agree with you that that's going to be something to pay attention to over the next year. Right. So, you have. So if you have your, your population, um, your population, your unions, at least in this area, the, the unions that are left, are fighting for six percent raises, and 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 you're saying we're going to be slow. By the way, you're right. Uh, that we're going to be very slow. So that on your on the wealth you've accumulated on your cash money, you're going to be getting pick a number three percent, two percent, maybe. That's if you go yeah. to. Uh, and your and your raise is going to be six percent, and inflation is going to be ten. Uh, you just guaranteed ninety percent of your populations in a re- in a recession next year, unless everybody can put their money in one stock or a make up stock, a made up stock like uh, you know, uh, you know, one of the uh, fake currencies or whatever. Unless the market takes you to the moon or your house appreciates, you're essentially guaranteeing a recession slash depression for your entire population. You know, I, w- I would agree with you, but I still think there's so much cash in the system, and I think there's going to be a point where that cash continues to work its way through the system and pays the higher prices, and, and um, at some point, you know, let's say a year, year and a half from now, then we're going to, you know, I, I don't think we're going to see the, you know, the, the recession hit before then because there still is too much cash in the system right now. Well, you know, the cash meaning the money, especially the money that, that has been put into the system over the last few years, but also money that's in, you know, people's retirement accounts. Um, the stock market is still, you know, relatively close to all-time highs despite the volatility, and it may not seem like the tone is really strong, but it's still, it's still high, and housing prices are still high, so we're not, we haven't seen a turnaround. So there is a lot of cash and a lot of capital out there that I think will keep um, us from going into a recession, um, maybe some individuals will feel the impact of a recession. And that, you know, they're they're looking at their own personal balance sheet. Their expenses are going to be higher than their income. But that is, um, I think, it's more likely to happen a year and a half out. I don't think we're going to see that happen in the, well, in the near term. That's the, the the debate we've been sort of having this week, Dan. Is it uh, before the what, what's 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 the, the dodo think tank that that, that tells us uh, when we've been in a recession or not? I mean the the official recessions. I think the amount of money in the system. I've, I've I've lapsed back into a totally different different definition of this than than what everybody else has now. Unfortunately, I'm going to say that that every individual person who doesn't get a ten percent raise this year, at least, is in a personal recession. He's had he's had less. Now, if his house went up in value or something, 
I guess that help if you have a house, you're at least keeping pace there because if you had to sell your right. house and buy a new one, but there are people that don't have houses, and there are a lot of people that aren't in the market. But if, if we happen to lose the market here, and the market goes down 10 or 15%, I'm going to say 90% of the population is in, by any definition, by, by the definition of a recession, in a recession. Now, if they poured so much money in the system that one guy has, can buy a bazillion-dollar boat when nobody else can afford a bass boat, I guess that, by the way they count it, in the gross numbers, we're still okay. But that doesn't mean everybody's okay. I mean, it means like a few no. people are okay. No, absolutely not. And I, I think you've mentioned this a few times, and I absolutely agree that the, you know, that there's been this bifurcation. I mean, there's, there are definitely people in the, um, that are struggling now who will struggle more, especially if, if inflation stays high as, as we're anticipating. And unless they have been able to find, you know, other sources of income or employment that's given them, you know, 10% or more, um, you know, pay increase, it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be, they're going to be stretched um, further, I think, over the next year. It's really interesting because that's what my common sense tells me, and that's obviously what your common sense tells you. But then you hear all kinds of things about how travel is going to be, you know, out of control this summer because so many people are going to be on the road traveling again and taking vacations and all that. And I'm, and I'm thinking, I would think some people, not necessarily going to stop taking their vacations, but maybe it'll stay closer to home or, you know, not spend as much money in on airfare or rental cars, which are outrageous, or or um, you know, food. So there, it doesn't mean people wouldn't take vacations, but I don't see it being you know, it, it's kind of inconsistent with what we're what, what we see and what makes right. sense to us in terms of you know the average individual being, being pressured on the you know having some pressure financially from the environment that we're in and that we're going to continue to be in for the foreseeable future. Well, Dan, you take care of yourself and have a nice, nice Easter weekend. We, uh, you too. No, uh, no markets tomorrow. We get, we get to relax a little, eh? A little bit. Yeah. A little, a little bit. <laughs> okay, have a good one. SP Futures down two, Nasdaq Futures up two. Looks like a slow day here so far. Be right back, Mr. John Flanagan. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know all while exploring how to live your best life through music spirits food sports travel fitness and a whole lot more luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures it's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into wall street's investment gurus it's for mavericks who believe in life luxury and the pursuit of happiness it's for you smart investors don't bet on possibilities they play the probabilities luckbox is 7.99 on newsstands but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks don't rely on luck get luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howe, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with their choice. PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and tried to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. 
when now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it is time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of HomeSource Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification, or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single-family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here. Right now. Right here. Right now. Right now. Right now. Right now. Well, back, well, welcome back to Stocks and Jacks. I'm sitting here uh, reading all kinds of crazy stuff. SP futures down 3.5, NASDAQ futures down 650. Well, Andy, why is there so much crazy stuff around these days? Dow futures up 56. Over in Asia, we've got the uh, rallies here. Nikkei up 328, 1.2%. Shanghai up 38, 1.2%. Hang Seng lagging a little bit. They're up 143, but it's only 0.7% only. Uh, over in Europe, we've got DAX up 83, 0.6%. FTSE up 5, call that flat. Kek around up 47.7. These guys are catching up a little bit because we read a little bit at the end of the day yesterday, a little bit. Uh, yesterday we finished the Dow, we rallied at the end of the day, we were up all day. Uh, Dow up 344, S&P futures up 49, NASDAQ up 272, that's a whole 2%. So we had a real big bounce back day from earlier in the week. Uh, real strong, like I said, pretty much strong all day long. Uh, bonds unchanged at 2.69, the Bund unchanged at point, uh, 0.78, and Japan unchanged at 0.23. So not much going on in the bond market today. Again, we're off tomorrow, we're off, uh, stocks and jacks and the markets are closed, so this is like a, almost like a Christmas Eve today, so. Oil down 138 to 102.87, Brent down 151, 107.27, natural gas up a dime 710, that's the story of the day, natural gas, that's incredible. Our Bob uh, down 3 cents, 325, we've got gold down 630, but 1978, who knows, maybe it'll, Turn around and make a run for 2000 today, or maybe next week, maybe never. Silver down 27 cents, 25.75. And last we got Bitcoin down 161 to 41,025. What do you got for us, Eliani? Traffic, weather, sports, our teams split yesterday. Yes, yes, that is absolutely right. Thanks so much, Chief. Currently 7.35 a.m. on April 14th. Let's start with sports. Uh, looking at the NHL, uh, the Blackhawks will be hosting a game tonight at United Center with the Sharks tonight at 7.30. And Coyotes will be playing Canucks in Vancouver tonight at 9 o'clock, so I look forward to those games. Looking at uh, baseball, the Diamondbacks beat the Astros last night 3-2, to and the White Sox beat Mariners last night 6-4. to Mariners will be playing at guaranteed rate tonight, with uh, obviously against the White Sox. Uh, at 1.10 p.m. today, so look forward to that. Looking at weather in Chicago, currently sunny, 36, with a high of 51 and a low of 34. Looking at Phoenix this morning, currently sunny, 52, with a high of 84 and a low of 50. A bit of mayhem on the roads this morning, so let's get into that. We have traffic eastbound on 290 between South Kingery, uh, all the way to downtown approaching the 290 I-94 construction intersect. 
with an accident, a multi-car vehicle accident, excuse me, at St. Charles Road. We have traffic westbound on 290 between Holman and 17th Ave. We have intermittent traffic northbound on 294 between West 127th and Route 171 and between East Roosevelt Road and Irving Park Road. We have traffic westbound on I-90 between Lawrence and the 294 North Tri-State Ram. Traffic eastbound on 94 between Tuohy and Canal Port. Traffic westbound on 94 between 59th and Tuohy. Traffic northbound 55 between uh, Route 45 and the 94 East Ramp. We have traffic southbound on 55 between South Damon and South Central. Traffic northbound on Lakeshore between the 55 North Ramp and East Grand. And finally, traffic southbound on Lakeshore between Michigan Avenue and East McFetteridge. Back to you, Chief. The uh, we have Mr. Flanagan. We do. Good morning and happy Easter to you, yeah. John, and your listeners. Happy Easter to you as well, uh, Eliani. Where we park, I was crossing the street, and hmm. just when you think you can you can make it about thirty feet without some dumbass, uh, here's the guy. It was a guy crossing the street ahead of me. Yeah. So the guy is trying to make the left turn from Wells onto Congress, uh-huh. and he's waiting for this pedestrian. Well, of course, there's a guy behind him. Well, now, what what other reason would you be waiting to make your turn to not make your turn, except for pedestrian? Well, the guy's what is this guy waiting for? He pulls out from around him, misses the guy by about two feet. This this is at five thirty in the morning. I mean, what? yeah, pe- I don't know what it what it is about people driving cars that just like they like to scare pedestrians a little bit. Yeah, it's like, like, they want they want to make you think you're going to run him over. But why why do you think the guy in front of you was was stopped? He wasn't stopped just to piss you off. He was stopped because somebody was there. Well, I mean, yeah, but that's kind of the only reason to stop is that some something or someone is there, right? Yeah, and, <laughs> and for all of you that uh, absolutely love the idea that uh, people get to trade for free uh, in a lot of places, uh, not options you don't, but some of the stock, and, and everybody's got this off, off. Goldman Sachs' tops analyst estimate is trading desk crush expectations. Anybody who thinks that these guys, that are, there are the three or four firms left that are the order, uh, the whatever they call them, uh, the market maker providers or something, liquidity providers, aren't doing exceptionally well when they can see all the orders bef- before they have to trade with them. This is whatever. I'm not going to go into it and bore Mr. Flanagan, but I mean it's the, <laughs> That's boring. The, 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 the fact the that this, the fact that this was allowed to happen, I, I could talk about it for a week, but I won't. But let's talk about your buddy Elon Musk. And the uh, the phenomenon now you know, Jan how and Eliani, Eliani how do you a guy who traded twenty years on a trading floor and loves stocks and loves to gamble? You can't ever call me a socialist, but what I, what I'm seeing in this world right now is not capitalism. I don't know what it is. I, I'm gonna have to. You should come up with a term because you're much more of a wordsmith than me. This guy Elon Musk runs it now. He's a brilliant man in a lot of ways. We, we understand he's got this company. If it wasn't for the government giving them something to sell to other people, they would never have made it that. They're starting to right now. They've, they've sold, what, carbon credits for three, four million million a quarter to other people. So you wonder why Ford stock doesn't go up and this one goes up, because this guy's Ford has to buy crap from this guy. Now, I don't understand why, how that whole thing just blows my mind. So the dude last year has so much money, and John, if you remember these numbers, please don't hold me to the numbers, but... Didn't he have to sell eight or ten billion dollars worth of stock or some massive number just to pay his taxes, right? Yeah, we talked about it on this show. Yeah. And then, but now the 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 board has given him he's got more stock now than when he started, so they essentially made him whole on his taxes. 
Now, again, the guy is he's he's brilliant, and some of the stuff, uh, the wealth, I don't I don't begrudge him. But if you went down the list of all these companies that don't make a dime, and look at how much the people up top now, some of it's the stock, and they're buying stock back with money they don't even, earnings they don't even have, which is even more bizarre. They're borrowing money to buy the stock back because that's how they're getting. How a board. If I'm paying you in stock options and I'm on that board, the chances of me allowing you to borrow money to buy the stock up to give yourself, to make yourself wealthy on the stock, John, I hope I'm too old of a a cat to get bleeped by a kitten. I mean, I would never let that happen, and yet it's happening all over the place. These we a dime has never been returned to their shareholders in a lot of these places, and the guys that are running the place, it's not even their invention, it's not their patent or anything like that. It, Musk is actually closer to that than some of these other guys. Uh, they, they're wealthier behind the greens, greed of average. How is that capitalism? What is that? It's 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 an oligarchy, Tom, and, and you know, I, I I I can see all sorts of evidence. You know, it's it's ironic as you hear Russia bashing out in Sinai these days. But look at the the economic model that this country has adopted, and that the government not only facilitates but you know absolutely buys into. Um, you've you've got Musk, the the oligarch of the electric vehicle corner of the market. You've got a Jeff Bezos and you know e-commerce. You've got a Zuckerberg. You had a Dorsey. You have, all these ten gods that are completely untouchable in their respective fields, despite they have what I would say, in most cases, is zero expertise. I don't think any of them could do any of the stuff that their companies are noted for on their own. But they have total immunity, really, from criticism or from scrutiny. And they also don't have to make any money in order to be made exclusive, you know, chieftains in their little corner of the world and, and the government lets them get away with it the government seems to be this seems to be the only way the government thinks that these things can function at all is by giving somebody a protect, protective ring around them and let them you know rape everybody else in the process including their shareholders um, but in the meantime this part of the world is secure because it's somebody who isn't going to stray from the narrative uh, it's somebody who's going to toe the line somebody who's going to take care of somebody or some other vision that the average person has no participation in. And it works well for you know, countries that, you know, have decided we're going to have an oligarchy running things. But there's, there's no democratic intervention in this. There is no assault on uh, institutions that have gone off the rails in pursuit of this. It's all just, you know, it's, it's, it's lost any kind of resemblance to capitalism, too. Well, I mean, this, I know, and a little bit I know about how this is supposed to work. I've been around a little while. So I mean, don't you know? Don't don't even accuse me of being like a securities attorney or something. But I was on a trading floor for a long time, and 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 I the rule is and this guy just got sued last week. And this is no, this is not this is not must bashing. This is talking about what John just mentioned. I mean, the, when you when you when you get to five percent, you can buy five percent of the stock in the open market. Okay, once you get to five percent, you're supposed to declare. What your intentions are? Do you intend to buy the rest? Do you intend to buy more? Do you intend to be a passive investor? Do you depend, depend to be something else? So that's what what happens. I mean, Warren Buffett does that where he'll get five percent, and then he he says, "I'm just going to be a passive investor," and he goes up to nine or eleven or whatever, and he stops. He tells you, "This is what I'm going to do," and that's where I'm at. Now, just the fact that he's getting in is probably news enough for people who want to be in there and so forth. 
But the the fact is, this guy didn't do anything. He, he went up to nine and a half percent without stopping at five, without telling anybody anything. Now, that's on him and to some extent, but I will guarantee you that a firm the size of PTI Securities, the guy had to use a brokerage firm. Now, everybody, everybody just think this through for a second. If, if, if roll with me here. Suppose he called me or my brother or anybody here at PTI and said, I want to buy all this stuff. Well, I'm sure our responsibility would be, hey, buddy, you're getting to 5% of this. You better get your securities attorney to do something and tell people know what you're doing. I mean, it, 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 I'm, I, I have to, I should ask my bro, but I have to believe, Jan, that, that if he doesn't do it, we're supposed to notify somebody. I mean, I've never had anybody buy 5% of a company, but I guarantee you, if somebody was getting close, I'd be calling our attorney saying, hey, what am I supposed to do here? Um, I, I absolutely guarantee you that we would have to do something. If not, FINRA would land on us with 15 feet because, guess what, we're PTI securities and we can be kicked around. So, right. Now, what did he go through? Now, where, if he, did he go through Goldman? He had, a, he had to use somebody. Now, how do we not know what firm he used and how they didn't do the notifications either? Are they just okay, too, because they're too big to spank, evidently? Yeah, uh, that's, that's the conclusion I have to draw, Tom. I mean, this, this part of the process has no, no trail f- for anybody to look at or to compare to you know, a similar shenanigan in the past. It, so it, with that kind of you know, prevention of any kind of scrutiny or inspection, it, it really isn't surprising that things turn out as crooked as they are. Look at the whole flap about you know Musk and his you know interest in Twitter that he acquired you know just days ago, well, and it was yeah. highly touted in the alternative press that oh here's a chance now for Musk to undo you know Twitter's capricious denial of access to people that opposes politically, and now we're going to have Twitter open you know for free debate like it should be, ha ha. In, within hours, practically, oh, no, he's not going to have a seat on the board. Musk has declined a seat on the board, and it's in the best interest of everybody. Do, do, do you think, does anybody think that this is really how it went down? Of course not. It was one oligarch saying, no, you're muscling in on our territory, and no, you're, whatever your skill set is, and no, no matter what state well, you I, have, did you Twitter, see it doesn't entitle you to tell us what to do, no matter how much stock you own. And he seems to have, you know, put his tail between his legs and walked away from taking the seat on the board. It tells me everything. Yeah, I think whoa, whoa Jen. Jen, did you, you're missing the part about this morning where now he's buying the whole thing. Oh, well, I figured it, it was either that yeah, or yeah. it would be like a hostile takeover situation. He'd you'll be poised to just erase you know, <laughs> the clouds that have been running Twitter into the ground, I should add, too. But Jen, in our, in our, that was his plan all along. In our, in our, in our, in our ute, our ute, did he say ute? And are you Utes. Uh, my cousin Vinny? What, yeah. what is a Ute? <laughs> what, what's a Ute? <laughs> you mean youths? <laughs> the late great Fred Gwynn. Right? Yeah. Oh God, he was really. <laughs> you mean youths? Uh, so, you know, Eliana, you won't believe this, but in our day, there were four, there were four newspapers in Chicago every day. Okay. This morning, in the morning, you had the Tribune, the Sun Times, in the afternoon, you had the Chicago American, and the and right. the. Uh, uh, Daily News, mm-hmm. and uh, don't forget the neighborhood papers. And plus the neighborhood, the, the Economist, Southland. the yeah. Daily Herald, the South Town Star, you know, on and yeah. on and on. So the Daily Calumet, remember the Daily Calumet? Yeah, well, so somebody, you know, some mogul got a hair up his behind and decided to buy, <laughs> you know, the, the the Chicago American. Everybody'd say, okay, I mean, you you get a little bit of influence, but you're not exactly dominating the, the newscape. 
But now you get to the point where there's how many? I mean, the Tribune owns how many newspapers? Los Angeles Times, and I mean, right, so they now publish the Sun Times. Yeah, they, 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 they publish the rival. <laughs> so, so now if somebody decides they're going to because they're 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 the kid that isn't being talked about right, for a guy who's a Zuckerberg who owns the who owns the Washington Post? Is Zuckerberg? It's Bezos. Bezos. You know, for 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 a guy like that <laughs> to all of a sudden buy the Washington Post. I got a real problem with it, John. I really do. And, it, and for this guy, I mean, Twitter, for whatever it is, it's unique. I don't want this guy on a Twitter. Well, he you does. don't want any one person. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and, and in a publicly traded company, it shouldn't be so marked by the stamp of any individual, ideologically or, or financially. Uh, unless, you know, you're, it isn't really what it purports to be. It isn't really a publicly traded company. It's not even a media company at all, but it's a propaganda wing, which I think it's pretty clear. Well, if you have a, a medical company where the guy uh, on top, you know, personally did five or six of the patents or something, I you know, I, I guess it's okay for a while for him, you know, but... Uh, to, to run the place, I mean, because it's you know it's pretty much his stuff, and if he gets out, goes out and gets other people to invest. But I'm saying, for whatever reason, Twitter. I mean, am I going to trust Elon Musk to be the to be the uh, what do you call the, uh, the the guy who lets let the tweets which ones go and which ones don't? Of course, yeah, right. This, this is the fiction yeah. of all of this stuff. Do you yeah. want anybody, any one individual, having that kind of power? For, uh, you know it's going to be abused. If there were ten, if there, no ten if there were ten Twitters, I wouldn't care. But it right. appears there's right. one. Right? It appears there's one. Yeah, for, well, but all these, not, not only are they, they're oligarchs, they're monopolies to boot, and they're just in, invincible monopolies. And they, they, they want to so. control everybody's thinking as well. I mean, they want to, they and, and this, this, this rise to power, I mean, Amazon, to, to a huge extent, I mean, I, and I haven't, you know, I've said this before, but I haven't said it. Amazon's rise was some huge percentage due to the fact that they got around paying state and local taxes. Right? Right. No, what other vendor could have ever yeah. gotten around that? And our, and our, and our people are, are not individually, uh, but, but we're so collectively stupid. I mean, I should have asked uh, uh, Keith Peacock, the, the mayor of Orland, Keith, 20 years ago, what, how did you feel when people were walking into the Orland Mall? Mall, he wasn't a mayor 20 years ago. Uh, walk into the Orland Mall, take a look at a TV and order it on Amazon and don't pay the tax. I guarantee you he would have had a very dim view of that. <laughs> you think? <laughs> you think? <laughs> Let alone a serious employee or anybody else. <laughs> well, yeah. So, I mean, I, I but, but to this day, I don't understand. I mean, you know, we're probably past any kind of uh, a statute. To this day, I have no idea when states are broke. Of course, they're not broke because the federal government gave them so much dough. Um, the, the states are broke. To this day, I have no idea why you don't go back 15 years and say, gee, the Pritzker family owes a million dollars in taxes. Pay up. It's because you Just because you, you don't, it's delivered without being gathered, it doesn't mean you don't owe it, right? It just means they That's don't right. have to collect it. And it would be very easy to... To ascertain this number, believe sure. me, but they don't want to. Because can you imagine? Right. Can you imagine the top fifty names in the state if they were published? Whose 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 wife and kids would be uh, be on that list? Heating up the tar and, and gathering the feathers. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh absolutely. So, hey, uh, did you happen to that thing Kevin sent around yesterday? Mr. Weber's going to be around. Uh, Matt Weber on uh, Monday. 
So he uh, he's going to uh, work the machine. There's a YouTube video of, uh, I don't know how Kevin found this, but it's a YouTube video of Dan Aykroyd, and he, he can't be, <laughs> he can't be, is he even 25 years? Jimmy Carter persona? Yeah, uh, Jimmy, is, it, it was he even, was he, could he even have been 25 in this? <laughs> and he and he's talking about inflation with, with Carter's voice. It, I, I'll, I'll just give one second, because I, I, I'm just going to damage it. He goes, well, you always wanted a 700-hour suit? You're going to have one. You want a $140,000 car? You're going to have one. It's inflation. <laughs> it is. It, 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 you don't think you have enough money? We'll just send the money out to you, because that's how you make inflation. <laughs> it, it is we'll have to, we have to, But he, oh, of course. Well, with, you, know, you, you can hear the audience it's, it, initially they're laughing kind of nervously. Yeah. Because this, this sounds a lot like what they've I mean, you can't, you can't, but it is. It'd be, uh, th- thank you, Kevin, for doing that. <laughs> um, by the way, I've, I have this, uh, maybe Eliani, because she likes to do stuff like this. There's a guy here, a guy, John Steele Gordon, and he puts this uh, um, inflation in the United States, and it's a uh, kind of a, uh, I'm going to say, how many pages is the damn thing? Uh, five, six, I'm going to say ten pages hmm. of... Uh, of uh, history and inf- inf- inflation, and uh, it, 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 it absolutely is a must-read. Who's, who's Hillsdale College, John? I've heard that name before. Who are these guys? Well, it's a, well, I guess, politically incorrect. Maybe that's 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 a very cheap term to use for it. But it is a, um, you know, they do a, a fairly wide range of videos and pu- public service kind of stuff and speakers. You know that, that are on their website, and they're they're you know a, a, a kind of a haven for people who think outside the box that really couldn't get a job in, in most of the private or public universities that, that hire people today at all. So it's, it's a breath of fresh air. There used to be more places and, and more academic departments in big institutions like it, but they're few and far between now. Well, he goes. It's a. I'm going to say it's a. It's seven pages. It is very succinct and pretty much. Every one of the uh, uh, inflation cycles that that I remember uh, are in here, but I just want to—we got uh, a couple minutes. I'm going to read the part here about the because it's, it's easier to maybe sometime to uh, understand uh, um, when you look at it, something more ba- way back in the day. And, here, uh, and this, I'm, I'm, I'm reading here: governments have only three way to fund operations: they can tax, they can borrow, and they can print. This is he's talking about the Civil War. Both governments, the North and the South, both governments did all three, but the particular mix was very different. The Northern states had a much more advanced economy and a well-established financial system in place. The result, the U.S. was able to throw much of the cost of the war onto the future. In 19, 1860, the national debt had stood at $64 million. By 19, 1866, it was at $2.7 billion. And about 5% of the North's population invested in federal bonds. So the North was able to raise two-thirds of the revenue by borrowing. Now, the Confederacy, with far less liquid capital, much smaller middle class, and few large banks, could raise only about 40% of its revenue through bond sales. So the same was with taxes. The federal government sharply raised tariffs, 
its main source of income before the war on excise taxes. It also taxed gross receipts and opposed a stamp tax on legal documents. You attorney dudes. The country's first income tax was passed in 1962. I didn't know that, John. Uh, so altogether, the North raised 21% of its revenue through taxation. And the Confederacy had such a poor economy, they were only raised about 6%. The bottom line is that the federal government floated $450 million in greenbacks. So they essentially floated 12 to 15% of their uh, money, the, the spending through printing money. It ended up with an inflation rate of about 15%, right? Which is, which is man- not nice, but manageable. The South, however, the South had to fully, had to, had to meet fully 50% of its revenue by printing money. And we're up to what? 25% every year now? Yep. State, yep. state and city governments also printed money, and because the South lacked, I didn't know this either, South lacked good paper mills and state-of-the-art printing facilities, counterfeiting flourished. So that means even, I mean, more. Altogether, the South printed about $1.5 billion in fiat money, three times as much as the North, even though they were like one-fifth the size. Uh, originally, they only had 12% of the circulating currency before the war and 21% of the uh, banking assets, and they ended up printing twice as much as the North. The result was catastrophic inflation. Prices rose 700% in the South, not 15%, in just the first two years of the war. I mean, I mean Jen, how... How people can say that the, the money supply doesn't make any difference? And the guy goes through every. I'll read. I'll read the Vietnam piece on Monday. It's much closer to home, but it's exactly the same every time. I mean, I how do, how do you people, know, the, the, and it's been managed in such a way, Tom, and you, it can't be accidental. But you and I lived through the inflation of the the seventies into the eighties, and we remember it, and we know. We bear scars from it. Everybody yeah. who lived through it is scarred in some way by it. Just that the memory alone is, is painful. But you, you get enough years between the last cycle and, and the next one. There's a whole, you know, two generations of people that you know haven't heard about it, don't really, you know, see it, don't understand it, and don't fear it either. So once, once you get, you know, the, the tipping point is, you know, always at the, the elderly end. You know, the people like us who were there. <laughs> And saw it happen, and we're pretty demoralized by it at the time. But we're fading away. We're we're becoming the minority of the population, and they've got a whole group of bright-eyed people coming up who don't know what anybody's talking about, and and don't really think it's a problem, and and aren't being told it's a problem in the way that they should be. So how how could they appreciate it? Well, I just I mean I think the uh, I mean we talked about with Dan. I I, I don't see how if if inflation is going to be he thinks it's going to be worse than me, which I do. Um, if it's going to be fifteen percent this year, and the average person gets a raise of six, and that's that's a that's a lot, and you're getting one percent in the bank, how, how do you not lose ground? Well, imagine the you know, when when Lou was talking this morning about Shanghai and yeah. the draconian crazy lockdowns that you know paralyzing effect. What's that going to do for the supply chain? What's the, oh, that God. going to do for the in, importing here of Chinese goods? Uh, the shortages that we will be experiencing within the next six months will be alone enough to, to cause inflationary pressures like we've never seen. Would you, if you add that to the amount of money we're just drawing out of the printing presses, too. Would you like what, to know? It's, we what, had a what kind here. of a combination, what kind yeah. of additive effect are we looking at? Uh, we got a dash here, Jim. Would you like to have some idea of what the, the head of the leader of China is thinking with this? What is he? The only thing I can figure, Tom, is that they want to suppress and, and pressurize the population um, in the most horrible way possible, and they don't care about the suicides or any of that stuff. But if they can, in 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 quick fashion, shut down the 
the world economy or a good piece of it and starve us and Western Europe in the process too, it puts them in a better position to negotiate whatever they're looking for because they will have effectively paralyzed the consumption patterns with, with this kind of lockdown policy. And weak as they may be, they figure if they can weaken everybody else, it, it will level the playing field. It's the only thing I can imagine they're trying to accomplish. They seem to be doing a pretty good job. Wow. SP Futures down 12, NASDAQ is down 30. Remember the, the Russian guy in Hunt for Red October? October, you arrogant ass, you've killed us. <laughs> are that How happy? Dare you? <laughs> are that happy? Are that happy? You don't happy Easter, everybody. <laughs> we back on Monday. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to ptisecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at ptiprodirect.com. Nadex, offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. Dax Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968. Jerry, just remember, it's not a lie if you believe it.